1: what excites me about the the private fund space that that I play in is that you know depending on the fund and depending on their you know the the goal of the fund they can buy individual houses they can buy apartment complexes they can buy all sorts of different assets that to be honest with you big big fund managers would overlook
0: This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with Amazon best-selling author, chartered accountant and founder of the Freedom Warrior Program, Selena Kilkani. We explore private funds and their different types, how they can create passive income, how we can invest $100 and receive a 10% net return And much, much more. We dive into the world of private funds, and Kilkani begins by discussing her first experience in this fascinating area.
1: For me, the discovery of the world of private funds has really been like a holy grail of discovery. It was, uh, it's been the vehicle that has allowed me to access more premium opportunities at the same time um, and i have a huge sleep at night factor because my you know suite of trusted advisors they're running the fund they're really experienced investors and they're going to do a significantly better job of asset selection than i could ever achieve on my own and i think ultimately that's the that's really what you want you want to kind of leverage other people's genius
0: so, in terms of say a fund, uh, could you just maybe perhaps explain what funds are and, and how for example, you found them in the past?
1: Like everything, you, you know, it, it's all about being an explorer and you know, trying different things and you know, we, we've talked about before like I started investing in this sort of stuff in, in 09 and got plenty of cuts and bruises along the way and then as you become more experienced around how these things work and you know what questions you need to ask, you just start to meet good people and then good people introduce you to other good people and um, then it becomes really easy to distinguish between who are the A-grade players and B-grade players and private funds are definitely not a new thing um, and the essence of a, of a private fund is that you are, um, you know, there's a group of investors that work with a Fund manager or a sophisticated investor, and instead of investing into a single asset, they might acquire, you know, a series of different assets. They could be apartment complexes, single residential family housing, um, business loans secured by real property, um, the purchasing of debt, or you know, lending as a concept. So there's so many permutations like storage facilities and land banking and like there's a zillion different permutations. And so, part of the challenge as an, as an investor for me was actually sort of making sure that I fully understood the strategy of the fund manager and made sure that from a risk point of view that that was palatable for me.
0: So, just to understand a little bit more about the type of funds, so we're not just talking exclusively just property investment types of private lending funding. are we? We're to- we talking about all sorts of type of Funds.
1: private funds can exist across the spectrum so you can get private funds which are about investing in you know small cap businesses and things like that but for me personally I tend to lean into those that are backed by real estate so private funds in my world and in in the world of Freedom Warrior is all about real estate backed funds Um, but yeah that is a really good point to distinguish.
0: Yeah that's great. And I guess from your experience of investing into a fund, how did you come across say the first one that you've invested in for example?
1: A few years ago, I'm just trying to think what year it would have been, um, one of my mentors invited me over to come and spend some time with him and his clients and what I recognized was a lot of people had a leaning towards these private funds because basically what it means is you get access to epic deal flow. That, you know, I could never find on my own, nor would I have the inclination to build the network needed. But I could still participate. And to be honest with you, what I've witnessed over the last, I don't know, at least five to ten years is that private funds, syndications, joint ventures, they're really the playground of of super high net worth families and individuals who um, they want safety, they want premium returns and they don't necessarily want to spend all day figuring it out themselves. So, you know, the, the world of private funds for me has opened up and cemented the idea that it's it's not what you know, it's who you know.
0: And, and can I just also find out a little bit about these private funds? Are they also something that need to be regulated or can, you know, any any experienced investor set up a fund because if they have investors… You know, what's them stopping from setting a, a fund?
1: Yeah, great question. Um, So, these funds sit in a um, a space which is that they're not listed on stock exchanges, obviously. They're not, you know, real estate uh, investment trusts and they have a, you know, they're allowed to, to carry a certain amount of capital um, up to a, you know, I think it's up to a hundred million or something like that and th- there's regulation in terms of how they report. What kind of investors they're allowed to work with, and and so forth, but you know they have to create a private placement memorandum, which is effectively like a you know uh, an overview of everything, how they charge their fees, how the funds are structured, what they invest in, what's the strategy, so that someone who is um, an experienced investor can come along and read that and get some cut through and uh, an insight, Um, but because of the fact that they kind of sit below you know the the real estate investing as investment trusts that ch- trade on the stock exchange they're able to be a lot more nimble in the way that they deploy capital and so that's why they get better returns one of the problems with the real estate investment trusts that trade on the stock exchange is they've got such huge amounts of capital they don't have the infrastructure and administration to break that up into lots of micro deals and so what they're looking for is just a few big deals to throw their money into and so often the returns in the you know the huge deals is is much more more capped so what excites me about the the private fund space that that I play in is that you know depending on the fund and depending on their you know the the goal of the fund. They can buy individual houses, they can buy apartment complexes, they can buy all sorts of different assets. That, to be honest with you, big big fund managers would overlook.
0: It's really fascinating. It's completely different space to you know what I think most of us investors would be doing most of the time. I guess the biggest difference is that um, you are investing into something that someone manages, and there is access to so much different say assets within say the real estate space. So, in your personal example, are you able to share with us then what kind of fund that you've invested in yourself?
1: I like to spread the love. So, I, I love that with these private funds, you can put a bit of money into different funds and what's interesting about funds is depending on, you know, the mandate of the fund and who's running it, you can put in, you know, there are funds out there where you, you the minimum investment is $100 with, a, you know, 10% net return. There's there's funds out there where the minimum is $250,000 and everything in between. And then there's funds where you have to commit for a year. And then there's funds that you have to commit for 10 years. So there's lots of permutations out there. But what I love about funds is if you're an investor who just doesn't have the, the bandwidth to deal with day-to-day management of investments um, or you know, you want to align with someone who is really just that's their jam and they're really good at that specific niche strategy. Um, you know, I, I kind of liken it to you come in as an investor and you just pick the things off the buffet that you like. Um So yes, there's a whole lot of work that goes into making sure that you're picking the right funds because there's a lot of crappy funds out there. Um, but if you're someone who, wants to be a professional investor in a more passive way, um, I think private funds lend themselves beautifully to that sort of thing.
0: It sounds like really, really easy and simple passive strategy and maybe I shouldn't say it's easy all the time because it sounds great but what I'm trying to understand is why then a lot of people don't don't jump into these kind of, you know, funds because, you know, if you just put $100 in and get say, you know, 10% return and it's very low barrier to entry, You know, why is it not many people doing it?
1: Well, the first thing is like, you know, as we've spoken about in in other episodes, like, you know, my interest has really meant that I've got one foot in the Australian camp and another foot in the US camp from an investment point of view. And from a, a private fund perspective, Australia is nowhere near as evolved as the States. And so to be frank with you, I just think people don't do it because they don't know about it. You know, when you talk about funds to the average Australian, they're thinking managed fund, you know, like your vanguards and, you know, those sorts of things where, um, to be honest with you, you end up with pretty boring results, you know, uninspiring results. And even if the results are pretty good, um, it, it isn't necessarily about generating cash flow. And, and the contrast is a lot of the funds that that I like, they are predominantly for me a cash flow strategy. So, um, I'm, you know, there's all sorts of funds and we can, we can, I can certainly share an example, but there's, there's one fund that I, I go into that has a a very diversified approach. It, um, invests in projects which deliver income and it also, um, invests in projects where they they can create forced appreciation. So, um, you know, that particular fund, you know, they have a minimum commitment of a hundred thousand. Um, they invest in things like loans. They do fix and flip projects. They do, you know, some commercial debt, distressed commercial debt, equity investments, um, multifamily, self storage. Like there's a whole range of things. And what these guys are trying to do is offer an overall return of 10 to 13% net per year to investors. Um, you know, I feel I have good downside protection inside the fund because, you know, I'm getting. 7% return before anybody else gets paid. Um, I like the way the management fees are structured and I don't proclaim to be, you know, the world's authority on on any of this stuff by any means. But for me as an investor on the journey to developing annuities and, you know, that consistent predictable income, I think funds are a great vehicle. Like I, I really enjoy them. And I, you know, I, I've I hope we cover off the asterisks. Is on. Um, it, it's it's not complex, but the the big challenge is finding the gold, like finding the better ones, because there's there's hundreds and hundreds of them out there.
0: Yeah, so that that's the biggest question I'm having right now. Is like if there's hundreds and hundreds of out there, then what do you do to go and where, where do you even start to find them? It's like the same thing with property. There's hundreds and thousands of properties on real estate. dot com to their year or even domain. You hop on there and you go, okay, where do I start? And does that mean you've got to t- firstly take a step back and go, okay, what isn't my goals, and then you work down and break it down from there, or do you go through recommendations? Like, how would you approach this?
1: I think you've sort of part answered it there. I, I I definitely feel before you invest a dollar into anything, like literally anything, be crystal clear about what what you want. Um, I, I've met so many investors who have started on the path of investing and have been really opportunistic. And, you know, this person says, look, this is really good. And then that person says, that's really good. And they end up with this portfolio of really mishmash investments that when you really sit down and go, well, what are you actually trying to create here? What are you actually trying to achieve? Most of the investments are not in alignment with that. So starting point is what do you actually want? Break it down into you know, two or three concrete things like I need X amount of passive income or I'm looking for X amount of equity or I'm looking for, um, you know, whatever, like there's so many different permutations, but um, pin that down first. And then the second piece is um, you you, want to really make sure before you undertake anything, like we're we're talking about some pretty sexy strategies um, together, Tyrone, and I love that. But I think the thing is you shouldn't invest in anything you don't understand. And so, you know, I think a bunch of us, including me, jumped into things like Bitcoin just because it was like, oh, you know, I'll have a bit of a punt. Um, but if your attitude is that and you're you're really just happy to take a, a gamble on an investment, then great, like go for it. But for me personally, um, education is number two. So number one, what do you want? Number two is educate yourself on what's out there, what's available. And then you can make informed decisions about top level which strategies align for me so as we talked about i think in um, another episode you're not going to start chasing strategies which deliver cash flow when you've got no capital you know you've got to get your foundations right and there's you know the australian real estate market lends itself beautifully to that um and then you know these sorts of strategies maybe come a little later when you need cash flow so it's really important, and so you know, how do you tell the wood from the trees? Is educate yourself, get clear on your goals, and then research, do your homework. You know, uh, you know, set set a criteria for how you're going to do your due diligence.
0: Coming up after the break, Kilkani shares how she became involved in her first private fund.
1: I'd never heard anyone speak about investing the way that I'd heard him speak. The way that he was so clinical about it, there was no emotion in it whatsoever.
0: She reveals if she would ever set up her own fund.
1: People have approached me more recently and said, Selena, I don't really want to learn this stuff. Why don't you just set up a fund and we'll give you our money?
0: We discussed the alternative space, what she loves about it and what the benefits can be.
1: The other thing I, I just want to add to make sure people understand is like, I'm not putting huge amounts of money into any single investment when I when it comes to the alternative.
0: And that's next. I'm Tyron Shum, and you're listening to Property Investory. Hey, property investor. Getting into Kilkani's personal journey, she divulges the unusual story behind what or who attracted her to invest in the private fund she chose.
1: I think um, if I'm really frank, the reason I went into this particular fund was I had heard the guy who ran the fund speak a number of times and what I loved about him was he, he was so ambivalent about whether you joined his fund or not and really what he was about was adding value and helping you understand how to be a better investor and you know I kind of stalked him and tracked him down and then got to know him quite well and and he's actually become a really good friend of mine now but you know hands down I'd never heard anyone speak about investing the way that I'd heard him speak the way that he was so clinical about it there was no emotion in it whatsoever um the way that he allocated capital the care in which he gave, you know, each acquisition, just such a huge amount of consideration, whether it was a, you know, a $70,000 investment or or a $7 million investment, the the thought process and mechanics were the same. So part of the journey is really getting into the heads of these fund managers and understanding, like, what are they thinking? How are they thinking it? Why are they choosing the assets? Because if someone has a really detached way of kind of like, oh, yeah, people just bring me deals and then I just pull the trigger. And they're they're not really able to articulate their criteria for for asset selection. Then that for me is a bit of a red flag. And then on the same note, I think, um, you know, how do they structure their fees? Do I get paid first as the investor or do they get paid first? And I can't even tell you, like years ago, like I think um, 2009, 10, someone approached me because they knew I was really interested in this sort of stuff and asked me to you know like be the face of their fund and this was an Australian group can you be our our face and and what really kind of stuck with me was i couldn't believe the way that they they developed this prospectus that was just the biggest load of crap from the viewpoint of all of their fees were hidden like you know they were talking about raising 100 million bucks their fees were some ridiculous like tens of millions You know, it was just insane. And so for me, like I want cut through and transparency about, well, how do you make your money? You know, and, you know, we heard this recently. I I think I shared with you, you want to see fund managers make a a tiny bit at the front, a little bit as they run the, you know, the fund, but they want to be paid at the back end, same as us, you know, when the deals come to fruition. And so many funds don't work like that. So many funds, they get like this huge clip up front for just securing the asset. You're the one as the investor taking all the risk and I, I just, you know, the, the better fund managers will, you know, understand that the investors are the ones taking the risk. You need to be the ones cared for first. So, I, you know, that that's a big consideration for me. Wow.
0: It's really interesting that you mentioned that and I think it's, it's good to know because, I mean fund managers ultimately they're there to help manage the assets but they've got to be paid and rewarded for their work and I know, you know, very successful fund managers who have been paid quite handsomely because of their work that they've done for, you know, certain funds they've set up but I guess what I'm looking at is making sure that the fund managers also have skin in the game because if they believe that their fund is successful, they should be investing in it themselves as well.
1: Absolutely, yeah, 100%. Uh, you know if they're not investing alongside you they can't really believe in their own product
0: I've also heard that in the past when I have spoken to a few other uh, I guess developers and also people who have been looking into this space a lot of them have wanted to raise a fund but they've said they've hesitated even trying to put a fund even though they get a lot of investors they said that there's a lot of uh, well, let's say paperwork involved a lot of governance that need to do a lot of Costs they're involved in setting initially these kind of funds. Is that the reason why also too particularly in Australia, it's been quite challenging to set a fund up unless you've got you know, millions and millions of dollars and also you know, ongoing income to pay for it because every year there's also license fees and so forth. Has that been the case from what you've seen and that's the reason why it's also been quite restrictive for people to actually go, and go ahead and just set up a fund like this?
1: Yeah, it's a good point. There's definitely massive issues around compliance um, and reporting and making sure you uh, do the right thing in terms of, you know, ASIC and all the local regulatory authorities. But, um, you know, I've definitely, you know, people have approached me more recently and said, "Selena, I don't really want to learn this stuff. Why don't you just set up a fund and we'll give you our money? But I just inherently I kind of disagree with that as the way, uh, you know, I feel like if you want to build real wealth, that will last beyond your own existence, you gotta actually learn how to fish. And so I I there's that part of me which says, no, you know, you gotta learn this stuff because it matters. Cause if you put your faith in somebody else, um, you know, you're immediately diluting the impact that you can, you know, achieve. And then the second part of it is that yeah, like there's no way I would ever want to make investment decisions and, and carry the weight of that. Burden for somebody else, so you know I, I I know that there are plenty of funds in Australia. Um, I get approached all the time by Australians running funds asking me to put forward my clients, and that the challenge is um, it it takes a while to build no like and trust. So you know I'm very slow to put anyone as a trusted advisor in front of you know my clients because that's how i invest um and you know you're probably similar to her and you know you 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 want to really make sure you've ticked a whole lot of boxes before you put any uh, you know a dollar into anything you, you never want to take a punt not like our um you know for me bitcoin was a total punt um but yeah like if we're talking about trying to build you know wealth that will last you you can't you can't punt you can't take punts Oh no, of course
0: not and um, that's the last thing I'd want to do because if I'm investing in these myself, I want to make sure that I'm going to get a return back and that's why I do a lot of due diligence behind even jumping into any of these type of deals that I've been working on as well and you know, if I'm not comfortable to even do it myself, I'm not going to recommend it to an investor and be the same thing with these private investings. like if you've invested into a private fund, try it out for yourself and it's actually worked and you trust what they've been doing and the fund manager has been good then yeah, you know, that's when you would probably want to recommend it but you know, I think it's the same principle if you just take a step back, let's just take property, private fund, any of that kind of stuff out of it. If you tried a product and you're happy with it, you'd probably go and recommend it to your friends and family and so forth and um, I'll give you an example like I've just talked to you about the Apple AirPod Pros. (laughs) I tested it myself just recently and I was blown away by it and I was like, wow, you know, and I've started recommending it to yourself and you know, a few other people if the product's great, you, you wouldn't even hesitate and think about it twice to recommend to people, and be the same thing in property. If if the deal is that good, and it, it works, and people trust it, then it's an easy no-brainer to recommend to people. And that's why I think the key aspect is that you've got to be able to test it out for yourself before really going ahead, because it's not only just your your own self that's on the line, but it's also your integrity and your your own uh, what's the word for it. Um, Re- reputation, yeah, exactly. The reputation behind it and also too, you just won't be able to sleep at night. You don't want to be recommending something and then you know, so you got to call down the track and go, by the way, you told me this and you lost money and I'm like oh, that would be the worst thing that I could, I could ever experience and I would no, never ever want that for any investors I work with.
1: I think the um, the other thing I'd, I just want to add to make sure people understand is like I'm not putting huge amounts of money into any single investment when I when it comes to the alternative. Because and one of the reasons I love the space of alternative is that your capacity to to truly diversify is immense. Um, you know, you can put small amounts of money and small amounts of capital with, you know, 15, 20 different deal makers and advisors, you know, who are in different geographic locations, different investment strategies, different liquidity points different specific assets, some for cash flow, some for growth. Um, and I'm just really, you know, if any one of those fell over, I'm not going to die in a ditch. And I think that's a really important thing for people to consider is that, you know, as, as much as I love Australian property, what happens is you put a huge amount of capital and you, you put it all on red and you just kind of it's you, you're hoping and praying that, that that asset moves in the right direction And I think a little bit of that is good and you need that to get yourself out of the gates. But, um, you know, what I love about this alternative is small amounts of money with lots of different people.
0: Yeah, then that's just basically diversifying your risk as well too and um, not putting all your eggs in one basket to ensure that you get a good return. And and the good thing about doing that, you can also average your return because, you know, you might get some with high returns, some with lower returns but when your average is out, it actually gives you a nice good stable average return across the board. That's what I love about what you what you share as well too. I'd love to delve a little bit more into a fund like this one, the one that you've recently invested in, as you mentioned, how do they actually make money from it? You know, because they could invest into assets. um, and and as we talked about in one other episode about, say for example, syndications, Obviously, you're only investing to one, and we knew that from that last deal that we talked about was basically the capital growth, and also the rental income. But how does a, a private fund like this make money?
1: This particular one I invested in a few years ago. Um, it's not not a recent one, um, but basically they um, they invest into all different things. There's there's often a quarterly update, so I can see what projects are on the you know on the go at the moment. Um, This particular fund is always aiming to get a net return to investors of 10 to 13%. And um, I think during the 2020 year, uh, it dipped a little below only because they took a more defensive approach and they didn't put as much money out to work. But how they make their money is, you know, they have a management fee. Um, And then as projects generate cash or as assets are sold, if they're being, you know, used to create for that forced appreciation, then the the profits are split between the fund manager and the investors. And that's effectively how they make their money. Now, I've, um, I've definitely done the math on some of, you know, the, the better funds that I work with. And to be honest with you, you know, it, it's not a super lucrative game for them, you know, but they're all investors themselves. And I think that you know, it's a it's a what's the word? Is it symbiotic or what's it called when the the plankton sit on the whale? Uh, yeah, a relationship which is mutually beneficial, um, but they need us less than we need them. So in this particular in this particular fund there's a performance split. So the 7% at a minimum gets paid to the investor and then after that, there's different uh, classes of shares depending on how much money you put in. So generally, like on a profit share basis, it might be an 80-20 split, meaning 80% of the profits come to me as the investor, 20% to them or a 70-30 split, 70% to me, 30% to them and and so on. So um, they call that the, the waterfall and um, good fund managers will stack that in the investors' favours. Can you
0: sort of just explain or go into a little bit more detail behind that? When, when you say let's just take you know, unit C, which is like a 60-40 split uh, and you've invested say 100K into it, does that mean that they 60 would go back to you and 40 would go back to the management fund?
1: Yep, so the first 7% of all the profit for the year comes to me. After that, the profit on my share would be split 60-40. 60 to me, 40 to them.
0: Oh, okay. So, that's a pretty good deal. Like say, for example, like I don't know how much profit, like for example, a fund like this, but could they say they could be making a million dollar profit and a percentage of that goes back to you?
1: So, I have a sense that I'm aiming for 10 to 13% per annum net and sometimes it's above that and sometimes it's, you know, just at the lower end of that.
0: But at least there'll be a sort of a minimum cap of, say, 7% preference for you.
1: This one's an interesting one because whenever you've got um, a diversified fund that has income and growth, the the growth assets are going to sometimes slow down the returns because, you know, you're selling them in, you know, it's very lumpy. Um, if you go into a pure income fund, then your returns are much steadier. Or if you go into a growth fund then usually what the fund manager will do is just return capital at the end and you just get this whopping return right at the end. So that's why I like, you know, in this case, the distributions are quarterly, but you got to really understand the strategy of the fund that you're going into to kind of get a sense of, you know, am I okay about not getting any return for 12 months or no, I want to invest in something that pays me monthly or quarterly. Um, so there's it's just understanding the details. The devil's in the detail.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And how long do you have to be in these funds? Like is there sort of a minimum time frame?
1: Some funds have a minimum, most funds I should say have a minimum time frame. Um, I tend to lean into the ones that have a 12 month to five year sort of span. There are ones that run for 10 years. Um, There are some funds that I have that will give me my money back within 90 days notice if I let them, if I ask them, if I just say, look, I need to get out. Um, So again, you know, everyone's different. And when I'm helping people figure out what's going to be a fit for them, understanding, you know, how much cash should you keep in reserve? And, um, you know, what do you need? And then marrying that with the opportunities is, is part of the game
0: yeah absolutely. I know that there's not going to be one perfect scenario where we can talk about there, but i'm I'm sort of thinking, would this sort of be more attractive to probably people who are nearing sort of their retirement kind of thing that they want that continued um, income that's coming in to support and sustain a lifestyle if they've already got an existing portfolio
1: for me, I, I don't know if it's so much an age thing or a retirement thing. I think it's a stage of life thing so, If you're someone who likes the idea of having a very strong income outside your business, say, for example, then, you know, you could start doing this in your 30s. Um, If you're someone who, you know, maybe maybe it's a retirement thing, maybe it's not. But, you know, if you're someone who's got a reasonable asset base behind you and you just want to start ramping up the income, then, you know, again, not so much an age thing, but stage of life like, yeah, I need to you know, I don't want to rely so heavily on my business income. And so, from, you know, for me, it, I think COVID really put the wind up a lot of people, like really scared them. And so I think that idea of having another income stream is, is I mean, I think it's crucial um, to be thinking about that at every stage of life. But whether, you know, you're at the point where that's viable or makes sense is, is a different issue. But I, I think, you know, who who could complain about an income stream that comes from somewhere else that is maybe, you know, going to give you a, a plan B? I mean, that's really what it is.
0: Yeah, that makes absolute sense. I'm I'm glad that you, you clarified or explained that a bit more because I was just thinking the same thing. As you mentioned with COVID that hit, say for example, if you know, as soon as it hit back last year, if your business was like retail and you were forced to close down such as a cafe and you had great cash flow from the business but then you had no income for like almost 3 or 4 months or even up to 6 months some some stores had to stay closed gosh imagining having that extra source of income that was coming in from a private fund that would be you know be able to sort of continue to live i guess you can say and that's kind of like your fallback plan b plan that's available that you don't necessarily need to tap into unless situations like that do happen almost like an emergency income
1: <laughs> yeah yeah look i mean there's there's so many ways of framing it but i i do think the um you know for us on our my husband and i on our wealth journey it's like well what's our plan a what's our plan b plan c has become our australian property portfolio which will just tick away in the background and plan d is super so um you know We're firing on all cylinders or we're trying to anyway.
0: Thank you to Selena Kilkhani, our guest on this special episode on Property Investory. And if you love the show and are ready to get serious about investing your money to get a low risk, high return, then SMS me your name and email address on 0499881040 to become a money partner. Right now, there are great opportunities in the property market and I'm looking for money partners who want to invest their money for a short six months. To register interest, text me your name and email address on 0499881040.